me? I'm really, I'm excited every week. But today, I'm actually extra excited. Ooh, that's a good, I, I better deliver. No, God's got to deliver. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm really excited. So bear with me. I know it's a little late, but I might go a little bit over my usual time of 30 to 35 minutes. Is that okay? Because it's good stuff. It's going to be good for you. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to talk about double portion. Everybody say double portion. Second Kings 2. We talked about Elijah last week. Amen? You guys remember that sermon? And we talked about how God told Elijah, you're not alone, man. There's people out there. There's Obadiah and the prophets, and there's 7,000 of them all hiding in caves. And there's Elijah. Go anoint Elijah. He is your successor. So Elijah puts his cloak on Elisha. And then Elijah basically burns everything, burns his livestock, his job, everything, his family, and he leaves to follow Elijah. So we have this period when Elijah, Elijah is following Elijah. And then we come to 2 Kings 2. Now Elijah is about to be taken away. Do you guys know Elijah is one of the only few that is taken away, does not taste death, but ascends to heaven? You guys know that? Kind of is a symbol of Jesus being ascended. Everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the New Testament. That's how you read the Old Testament. In every passage, you see Jesus. Yes? All right. You guys are like, this is very participatory. <laughs> yes, this is not a lecture. I'm not lecturing at school. Even my, even when I lecture at school, sometimes they're more participatory than you guys. I found recently. I guess you guys, some of them are Chinese. I'm like, Ming Bai Ma. And they're like, Ming Bai, Ming Bai. Because I'm a very interactive professor, right? So in church, though, this is not a lecture. This is a, this is a relationship between the preacher and the audience. And when you say amen, amen means that's true. And you don't have to like fully agree, but your spirit might be like, that sounds something, that's some right. And you just and you say amen, the seed goes on top of your heart, the soil of your heart. And when you say amen, your heart just opens up and swallows the seed. <laughs> and even if you're like, I don't totally get that, you can just say, Can you repeat? Because my wife's like, you talk too fast and you just move that was a good point, but people didn't get it. They can't say amen because they don't understand what you said. <laughs> so if you're like, can you say that one more time? And I'll say it one more time if I have time. But if you don't, have, if you don't just come to Sabbath school because I have lots of time at Sabbath school. Amen. Sabbath school is good. Amen? Yeah. Oh, that's good. All right. I like that. All right. 2 Kings 2, it says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal and Elijah said to Elijah, please stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elijah said, as the Lord lives and as you, your, you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went to Bethel and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came to Elijah and said to him, don't you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you? So obviously Elijah did his job and he created like these schools of prophets all over the cities. But these guys kind of were, I don't want to say, 
um, they were loved by Elijah, but there was only one Elisha. And they had their own schools, and we honor Elijah, but was, t- was, t- was looking at Elisha and saying, look where we are. We, are. we have a school, and we're like the prophets, but you're still a servant of Elisha, and now you got nothing. He's going to be taken away. What do you got? It's kind of a, kind of like a little bit, little bit of a jab at Elisha. You kind of wasted your time serving him food and washing his feet. Elijah said to Elijah, "Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho." But he said, "As the Lord lives, and I use, as you yourself live, I will not leave you." So they came to Jericho, and the sons of the prophets of Jericho came to Elijah and said, "Don't you know he's going to be taken away from you?" And he said, yes, I know. Just be quiet. Basically, just shut up. I know exactly what's happening. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here for the Lord sent me to the Jordan. But he said that the Lord lives and you yourself live. I will not leave you. And he goes on and on. Then verse 8, then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water and the Jordan parted. If you actually see this progression, he's actually going through the reverse He's going in reverse because the Israelites came from the Jordan and went to Gilgal, Bethel. Now he's going in reverse back. He's retracing his steps. It's kind of like Elijah's farewell tour. It's like the Rolling Stones farewell tour. You guys don't even know who the Rolling Stones are. I'm aging myself. Like Justin Bieber 40 years from now. Old guy doing a... Now you know. Okay, now you know. Okay. And then when they crossed, Elijah said to Elijah, ask what I shall do for you because I am about to be taken from you. And Elijah said, please let there be a double portion, double portion, which is reserved for the firstborn sons. According to Deuteronomy, that gets a double portion. And that double portion he or she, he is responsible for disseminating it to the rest of his brothers because he now is a son of responsibility, entrusted. How many guys know God loves you, but he is not obligated to trust you? <laughs> you know, you can love somebody and not trust them. I trust my kids now. But when they were younger, I did not trust them. Oh, son, my son, 13 years old, can I drive the car, Dad? Sure, I love you. Here's the keys to my car. <laughs> drive away. No, no, you, I don't trust you with the car. I don't trust that, you, you know, that you're going to drive well. I don't trust you with that kind of responsibility. When you have become a son of responsibility and maturity, then I will trust you. And then Elijah said, you've asked a hard thing, but if you see me as I'm being taken away from you, it shall be done for you. And then as they went, you see the chariots of fire and the horses of fire separate the two of them. Elijah went up in a whirlwind to heaven and Elijah sighed, Elijah sighed and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen. And he took of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces and he took the cloak that fell down the cloak, the outer garment of Elijah that he wore as a symbol of his status as a prophet, which, was, which is what kings wore, but he wore something that's like 
fur inside. It wasn't like John the Baptist. It, it wasn't the most ornate cloak, but everybody knew that was a cloak for the prophet. He took it, he rolled it up, and he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And then he himself took on the mantle and the power and the double portion. And it doesn't mean that he had double the power. It means that he did, actually, if you read the miracles, he did double the miracles of Elijah. You guys following now? Did I explain that enough? Now, when I was in Africa, <laughs> which we are going this year, and Jacob has agreed to come with me. And Jacob, I have appointed to be my successor for Global Joy Foundation. And he's going to take it to double, 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 double. I know that already. I could only take it here. He's going to take it. He's going to blow my mind. So he's going to go to Africa. We're going to not only go to Africa, we're going to go to the world. And change the world. Amen? Amen? So, But when I was in Africa, there was a time when uh, Nelson Mandela died while I was about to preach that morning. And there was a bunch of pastors. I think there was about 250 pastors and leaders and district leaders. And they called them bishops. And they oversee pastors and churches. And uh, I said, Man Nelson Mandela died today. He didn't take his mantle up with the up with him in heaven, it's fallen to the ground. Who's going to pick it up? We don't take our callings and giftings to heaven. As we go, it's kind of like, falls to the ground. Because we're, we're only using that on the earth to glorify the Lord. You guys understand what I'm saying? Because, the, because you may not be here, but the kingdom carries on. God's kingdom will continuously advance. Even if great leaders go to heaven, their callings and their anointings fall to the ground. And yes, God sovereignly picks us for our giftings and callings. But I believe... There is, this, there is this idea. As we read this passage, there's something about Elijah following Elijah that he's able to pick up something that was fallen from somebody who's gone before us. You guys hearing what I'm saying? As I preached that to these Africans, I will never forget it. These Africans were like, these African pastors started standing up and they're like, high-fiving one another, and they got all excited, and then one guy came up, and he just came up to the stage, and he started, like, pretending he's putting on the mantle. You guys understanding what I'm... There's a mantle on the... Mandela's mantle. Who's going to take it? He just, he just started taking it, and he's like, it's mine, it's mine. And then other people are like, no, it's mine. And they just started, like... And I, I, I'm not saying theologically, I don't know if all that is true, but I just think there is a heart... That God wants us to understand his heart. There's a calling. It's not about gifting. It's about your understanding of what God wants for the world. And if nobody's going to do it, I'll do it. You guys hearing me? Oh, Ma oh, oh, Mandela left. Oh, 
Oh, that great leader, that great preacher led. Oh, we were led. Now there's nobody else. Surely that's not God's heart. Can I hear an amen? Surely that's not God's heart. It's like, well, who's next? Who's next in line? And if nobody's going to take it because we're all passive, good passivations. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. No, I would say, get out of my way. I will take it. It's not for my glory. It's for the kingdom. It's actually selfish of you to not want to know, understand what God has endowed you with or to want more from him. Because it's not about you. It's not about your gifting. What do I got? What do I, what's my purpose? Forget about all that. All that will be discovered when you understand God's heart, what he wants, and you press in to do what God wants you to do on the earth, and he will endow you with everything you need to accomplish the task that he has called you to. I need more. I need this. God, the hunger. Do you guys have any hunger? Yes. <laughs> Four people. Yes. <laughs> you guys have some hunger to see God manifest on the earth in a way that's, that makes unbelievers question their disbelief. That is the Christian walk. You should walk in such a way that an unbeliever starts going, I don't know about this atheist thing. Am I in the right camp here? Because those guys are manifesting God's presence and manifesting the kingdom of God. And God is so real. And things are happening in their lives. Nothing's happening to me. So I just have ideas. If you compete with ideas, there will be no salvation. The way people come into the kingdom is the way they will go out of the kingdom. If you get people to come into the kingdom by rational arguments, they can rationally come out of the kingdom. That's why you see your friends losing their faith. Because our churches have tried to convince people to be a Christian. I don't know about you, but if you read Jesus, if you guys read the Gospels, I never see him convincing anybody. He actually says things and he hides things from people. And people get offended and leave. For those who are hungry, Jesus, why did you say that? Why did you say you want to eat people's blood and drink their blood and eat their flesh? Why did you say that? Ho, ho, ho. Let's sit down on the fire. I don't know if he said ho, ho, ho like Santa Claus. <laughs> but he said, let's, start, let's talk about it. Those things belong to people who are hungry and they are committed. God wants you to go beyond confession to commitment. I thought that was good what I just said. Somebody out there listening. He wants you to go from confession to commitment. Because commitment to Jesus, even in your doubts, and questioning, as you commit to him, then you will see him manifest his kingdom in your life. Confession will leave you at your doubt. Mary had a confession. Mary's brother Lazarus died. Jesus came. Mary's like, where were you? He died. If you came, he might have been healed. 
because she didn't have the paradigm to believe that Jesus could raise the dead. And But Mary says very clearly, well, you are the Lord God, you are the Messiah. She had the right confession, but she gave up on that commitment. Thomas said, Jesus said, let's go to Jerusalem. And Thomas like, don't you know they're going to kill us all? And Thomas, being Thomas, he said, you know what? Let's all die. Who cares? Forget it. And he had commitment. Even though it was not the right like theology or understanding, he just said, I'm with you all the way. I'm with you all the way. No matter what happens, I'm with you all the way. And that commitment by Thomas got him to the point of seeing Jesus' resurrection and even being able to touch his body. Come on, somebody. You got to move from confession to commitment. And only way you're committed is not to be convinced by an idea, is to be encountered by the very presence of God and your life is forever changed. Like my daughter when she got saved in my car. My heart is hot, Daddy. I was sharing the gospel. She said, my heart is hot. What's happening to me? I said, that's the Holy Spirit. Give your life to Jesus. And we, I, I led her to Jesus in the car. That is the greatest privilege. Somebody asked me, what is your greatest memory? My son getting baptized and bringing my daughter to the Lord Jesus. That's why she will never, ever go back. And she has her moments but she'll always be in that lane. Right, daughter? <laughs> She's like, yes, dad. So the mission of God carries on. Do you want that mantle? Do you have that commitment? There needs to be some resolve. There needs to be some perseverance. In our Christian walk, there's many times where the enemy will tempt us to give up and stop, come into a place of homeostasis, static, stagnant life. You guys understand? So Gilgal is a place of new beginning. You know, after they crossed the Jordan, they went to Gilgal, and it's like, oh, we were in the desert. Now we're in Gilgal. We we're in Egypt, the desert. Now we're in Gilgal, a new place. So when you become a Christian, you come to a new place. You're like, oh, everything's exciting. Everything's new. But then everything new becomes old. And you say, well, I've done that before. I've worshipped. I've gone to churches. I've heard those sermons again. And that's where status happens. Because there's more. Then you go to Bethel, that's the place of dreams, and you get a glimpse of God's vision, and you move forward from Gilgal, and then, well, there must be more. You, get, you start to get dreams and visions from God, and you hear the call. There's something greater. You have a vision. Bethel is where the angels of God came and met Jacob. Yes. Then you get a vision, but, the, but the, it just stops at that vision and call. You don't do anything about it. And you start to lose faith. And you're like, well, God's not doing anything. But you were supposed to keep pressing on. You give up. 
Jericho, then you may say, well, I'm going to go on, and you advance, and then you go to a place of Jericho, and you walk around Jericho, and then it collapses. You Great miracles happen. You see things in the, you see things, and then you don't press on. You just don't keep going. You say, well, that was good enough. I saw healing. That's good enough. I saw my friend come to salvation. That was good, but that was 10 years ago, buddy. And you're still talking about what happened 10 years ago at the retreat at your youth camp. Can I hear an amen? Then you stop. You're living off old bread. <laughs> I remember I was eating bread. I usually don't turn on the lights because I don't want to keep wake up my wife in the morning. So I'm like cutting bread and I was eating it. And then that night I wanted a little snack. So I ate my gluten-free seed bread. I cut it up. Put some homemade strawberry jam that my wife made with maple syrup. Don't you just love my wife? Because every time I go to Whole Foods, I like look at the jam, and she's like, "There has so much sugar in it." And I'm like, <laughs> and then she was just secretly planning to make my make her own jam for me, which is better than Whole Foods. So I, I got the toast and I rubbed rubbed some jam on it, and then I was about to eat it, and she said, "Oh, honey, there's mold all over the bread." <laughs> and then she said, "Just cut the mold off and eat the rest." And I said, "No, no, no." That's not how mold works. It spreads. <laughs> and so she's like, that's half a bread. The bread is $10. And I said, I was about to do it, but I just couldn't. I threw the whole bread away. But you guys, this is a symbol of you guys eating old bread. <laughs> you guys are laughing. But that's the truth. Where is your present miracle? Where is God moving in your life right now where you can give a testimony of his goodness? Where is it right now? I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in the past 10 years ago, 5 years ago. Oh, I remember that retreat when I was 18. I don't want to remember that. I remember when I went to that conference. I don't want to remember. I don't want to be living off old bread because surely God is not telling us to eat moldy bread. He's got more bread for you. He's got more meat for you. He's got more things. He's like, come on. I got, why are you stopping? And you're like, you're enamored with old things. Because you've given up and you thought this is too hard to keep pressing on in the midst of distractions, confusions, COVID, war, and then where is God? But the Lord requires more than confession. He requires commitment. And as you commit, you get to see more. Then you go to Jordan. It's the full circle moment. And then you get rebaptize again. You recommit your, your life again. I am yours, God. And the sea parts. Crossing of the Red Sea and Jordan is always a symbol of baptism, going under the water. Now we have recommitment, rebaptism. Doesn't mean you have to get baptized again, but in your spirit, we're continuously being baptized. In the Greek, it means immersed in the will of God. You know, baptism, I'm a Presbyterian ordained. We sprinkle. And I'm like, when I got ordained, I said, this is one thing I don't want to do. One of the reasons why we do that, Presbyterians and Reformed theology, is because, yeah, there's some places in the world where there's lack of water. We want to, it's a symbol of cleansing. And I said, but we are not lacking water in British Columbia. When we get baptized, we go to the ocean, and I sink you, I, I put you are under my command. Authority, as a symbol of God, I put you under, and then when I do it, it's like, I said, hold your breath. <laughs> because you cannot come up until I lift you up. 
You know what it is? It's a symbol of you saying, my life belongs in the hands of God. That's baptism. Amen. Amen. So you got to press on. Philippians 3.12, it says, not that I have already obtained this, but already am or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. That word, press on, follow, is to run after, to chase in the Greek. It also could mean to catch up with, like, hey, wait up for me. You know, like my son used to do when I used to run. He's like, Daddy, wait up for me. But now his legs are so much bigger. He's like, see you later, Dad. <laughs> so, but when I was a kid, he's like, Daddy, wait for me, wait for me. I'm like, come on, come on. He's like, wait a minute. He's like wanting to be with me. And that's what pressing on means. He's like, God, Jesus is like always advancing. He's like, come on. And you're like straining to catch on. Go forward to be with him. Do you understand? It's just the imagery. To capture. To pursue. The second test is the test of stewardship. Responsibility. God is saying, who are my sons and daughters? Who will take the mantle and say, I will be responsible. Like Jesus in the temple. Don't you know that I must be at my father's business? Not my life alone. It's the life that I have in the Father, Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. That is the gospel of Jesus. When you get that, you, people say, you're greedy, you want more. No, when you understand the Father's heart, you say, Father, this is your business. I need everything that you can give me to accomplish your purpose. That's selfless. The audacity. Some people read that and go, Elijah, the audacity. So arrogant. Give me double. I think most Asians would say, I just, whatever you, whatever you want to give me. Just a little bit, Father. Just, I want to be modest. How many guys know modesty is a Confucius idea? It's not really a biblical idea. Meekness is power under control. Under the submission of God, all the things that God has endowed to for you is under control because you are a child of God. You are not a servant waiting for an assignment. You are a son following the steps of Jesus and doing whatever is needed to take care of business. When I go to Africa, <laughs> there, at one time there was like politicians and there was a king there and there was actually a king from Africa in one of my meetings. And then I got intimidated. How many guys know if a king shows up to one of your meetings with soldiers and everyone's like bowing, he, you feel a little intimidated? Amen? <laughs> Don't be like, oh, yeah, I won't be intimidated. I, I was intimidated. <laughs> I'm confident, but not that confident. And then I was just getting a little nervous. And I was just like praying. And the Lord, you know what? I heard the Lord very clearly, like it, in my mind. He said, I have anointed you to preach the good news. There's nobody here except you. Go and preach. And then I went up, just the confidence of God. I said, Lord, whatever I need, you will give me. And I preached that message. And the king, I have a picture of it. 
king said, I need you to pray for me. And he knelt before me. That's what happens when they recognize the authority of God on your life. Kings and rulers will bow before, not me, God. Come on, man. <laughs> That's why we... I need the double portion. It's not being selfish. It's like, bless me, Lord. Whatever I need to accomplish your will. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us. Bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth. Bless me. Make your favorable face shine upon my life so that your ways will be made known on the earth that I will use all the favor, my giftings, and resources to glorify you. Everything I need to carry out your heart, which is my heart. So the key is transforming your heart. Horsemen, chariots, Elijah said. The horsemen and chariots, you know what that means? It means, according to Psalm 68, 17, it's the chariots of God, the ten thousands upon thousands and thousands that God himself is riding upon. And he's saying, Elijah, if you go, who will be the protector of your people? Nobody else here. I have seen that the chariots have gone with you. May I be the protector for the people's sake. It's not about you. It's about the people. And if it's about the people, you need more. It's actually selfish to say, even resources, I don't want money. That's false piety. Now, God gives accordingly, and you have to be good stewards. But to even say that, I see Christians all the time, like, I, I could just live bare bones and just simply, yeah, live simply, but you should have money and give away 90%. You should want resources to give away. Okay, you don't have to have a lot. Why don't you give 90% away? If you have $20 million, why don't you give 19 million away? Can you live in a million? Or maybe even 100,000 if you're that humble. <laughs> my prayer is always make sure that my heart is aligned to your heart, but I need everything I need to accomplish your will. You guys following what I'm saying? And the last test, you guys with me? Five minutes. You guys okay? Five minutes. Now, you millennials, I keep saying that. My old church, I preached for an hour and ten minutes. People are like, go on, go on. You guys are like, wow, this is already long. Just <laughs> millennials, I'm, I'm adjusting. I'm adjusting to you millennials. But the Sabbath school, you guys listen to me for two hours. Maybe something different with Charlene's house. I don't know. The last test is the test of intimacy. He, says, he doesn't say the chariots, chariots. He says, he says that, but he's first he says, my father, my father. Elijah had intimate relationship with Elijah. I know my children, my daughter, my son. All things that I have built in my life will belong to them. They have no doubt. I already showed them the will. 50-50. Everything belongs to you guys. 
You know why? And then also taking care of my wife if I go first. Because I know they know my heart. Not a doubt in my mind. Not a doubt in my mind. I know they know, I know, they know my heart. But because we spend time together, we talk, we have intimacy. Can you give me my jacket? What is the prayer shell? The Jewish people have a prayer shell where they, maybe you've seen it, they have a shawl, outer garment. It's called the talit. And the word talit in Hebrew is like their own personal tent. <laughs> You're like, oh, personal tent. You're creating a tent for yourself. It's a prayer shell. So you just drown out the whole world and then you have a tent. But in a lot of people surmise, a lot of Jewish theologians, that Elijah, his cloak, though it was not called the talit, actually called the adarat, he said they must surmise that he wore it to protect himself from the cold, but it was also a symbol of his own tent. When he went into the cleft of the rock to hear the Lord, he drowned out all the thunder and the rumbling. He went into intimacy with Jesus, the rock. You guys following what I'm saying? I need to give you a visual. So what did Elijah actually pass down? His cloak, soaked in prayer. Come on. It wasn't just giftings and double portion, all those things. He, Elijah passed the test, all the loyalty and all those things. He passed all the tests, but really Elijah was confident. God was confident that Elisha understood not only Elijah's heart, but God's heart because Elijah followed him, understood what it meant to be intimate with God, and that is the true prophet. Everything flows from intimacy with God. Radical obedience is flowed and is flowing from radical love. You cannot have radical obedience without radical love. You can't put the... You can't conjure yourself up to obedience. It has to flow from radical love for Jesus. And it's not a sentiment, a sacrifice. I will love you, I will love you, I will love you, Jesus, for what you did for me. It's not, it's not a confession, it's a commitment. And Elijah followed, there's a relationship that was built, was cultivated. Intimacy of God with God is cultivated. Everything flows from the love of our Abba, Father. <sighs> the covering. This is my last point. It's not just, just to hide yourself, not to be distracted. It's a symbol. When he, when they, he covered, that word cover is the same word in the Hebrew for hovering. As the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters, that same word covering. Snap. So when we pray, it's not just like, oh, I got to pray today. 
you should be excited to pray. Because when you actually understand what prayer is, is intimacy with God, you talk, he speaks. You worship, he responds. The living God encounters you. As you go into your prayer closet, Holy Spirit starts to hover. I don't know if you guys understand what that's like. When I sometimes my wife is like, I'm going to the room. I know exactly what it means. I open the door, I can literally feel the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of people think prayers like, Jesus, I want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. Oh, no, no, no. That's like two minutes. Okay, what else do I got? What else do I got? That's not prayer. Those are taking orders, and he's your boss. He's your, like, McDonald's or something. Relationship requires active listening, patience, and rest. And sometimes when you pray, you sleep because the Lord's like, you're tired, and you put you to sleep. There are many times I slept during prayer. <gasps> I didn't feel guilty because I'm like, I felt the Lord's comfort. Son, you needed to rest. I was lying with you the whole time. Do you understand? I don't know if I just... That kind of intimacy. If I'm going to pass on anything to you in this church, that's it. Please don't look for it like, I want Steve's preaching. I want this. I want that. All those things will come to you. Whatever you need. Wherever you are, the Lord will back you up. But most importantly, what you get from my wife and I, what you get imparted is a desire for us to see you know the Father's heart. Walk with Him. Amen? Let's stand.